All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Crypto Top 10. This is John here, going to be bringing you some of the trending articles in the crypto news space. Off the top, I do want to say, glad to be back from uh, what turned into a week off. I'll talk more about that at the end, so that way those of you who don't care that I was gone for a week don't have to listen. So, if you have subscribed, thank you very, 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 very much. I do appreciate it. And there's a link or links down in the description that you can follow to check out all the articles talked about today. So, first things first, uh, there's a Tezos back uh, coronavirus aid program going on in a nice little sleepy Swiss town. Just another example of Bitcoin and blockchain in our everyday lives. So on Friday, the Swiss town of Wetzikon, formerly best known for its idyllic pastures and churches, I'm sure it's beautiful, uh, launched a blockchain-based program to support small and medium-sized local businesses affected by the coronavirus pandemic. I gotta say, I'm very happy that a Tezos-backed project is doing this, but I think that the way the project is actually carried out is a little uh, convoluted. Uh, so let's just get into it. So valued at about a quarter million Swiss francs or $280,000 US, the initial aid disbursement will be funded with a multiple credit line earmarked for the coronavirus and will be distributed to roughly 25,000 inhabitants of Wetzikon in the form of an e-coupon worth 10 Swiss francs. Yeah, 10 bucks a pop. Eh, like I said, it's a bit. Uh, they're going to have access to disper the, the distribution through a smartphone app and all these different things. But on the app, residents will be able to convert their coupon into Wetza coins that they can later use to make purchases at local companies. And then those business owners can then convert the cur currency back to Swiss francs from the town administration, also via the app. Like I said, it's a fun little experiment, but you could have just given everyone 10 bucks. <laughs> uh, Wetzikon is not the only government that is exploring using blockchain technology as a response to COVID. Uh, Bank of Canada exec Timothy Lane has previously called on central governments to prepare for CBDCs, or central bank digital currencies, which we're going to touch on a couple different times, uh, in an effort to encourage cross-border digital payments. So... Fun little thing, cool, get a nice little headline, way to go Tezos. Uh, actual impact, pretty minimal. Actual uh, use, pretty convoluted. Meh, but good for them. So let's hop on over, talk about Tron. So the DeFi sector is reclaiming some momentum. We're actually gonna be talking about the loss of momentum here in a few. Um, yeah, despite the negative performance that Ethereum and Tron have had, uh, there's been a rebound in total value locked and DeFi protocols back up to about 11.3 billion. Not too bad. Uh, so Tron is launching in response to all this. Well, I think it just lined up. They're launching their own Oracle service to compete with Chainlink, JustLink. Oh God, just, 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 just. So conceived as an answer to Chainlink, answer in air quotes, it offers a secure connection between decentralized protocols with information outside the blockchain. The Just Foundation claims that the Tron-based Oracle project is completely decentralized, quote, unlike its competitors, unquote. Uh, therefore, they claim that it is a better alternative to eliminate single points of failure in smart contracts. Interesting idea. Kind of, uh, 
not sure how legally they can say unlike others but uh, that's that's tron so just link is the first official oracle project created on the tron blockchain smart contracts on tron will be able to receive information on prices stablecoin exchange rates derivative prices market estimates and other things uh, additionally just link will have greater options to be leveraged by developers looking to build dApps or decentralized applications however the just foundation only mentions among JustLink's advantages that Tron will have, quote, exponential growth. Um, this is kind of how Tron runs things. They see something popular that's growing, and they copy it, and they put it on Tron. I mean, it's not a bad strategy. Everything's open source, and if you can make yourself a jack-of-all-trades, the chances of you hitting that spark that captures a large chunk of the market is much higher but there's also something to be said for specializing a little bit and blazing your own trail versus copying everyone else. That's just Tron style though, but pretty cool. I do think competition is healthy, so another competitor to Chainlink is very good. It'll enable uh, Chainlink and all the other oracles to get better because they will all be competing with each other to capture the same market, so they gotta have the best rates and the best services, so overall good but eh, whatever uh, but hey this is the thing everyone's kind of waiting for it everyone so the latest blog post from consensus developer Ben Edgington suggests that things are getting very very close to the anticipated launch of phase zero for ethereum 2.0 we can finally get this show on the road uh, the first part of this milestone event is the deployment of the deposit contract which has already been slightly delayed as developers wanted to wait for an audit on a performance and security focused signature library called blst um i'm okay with that delay it just a little bit make sure that audit is complete that's different than delaying it six months because stuff's broken uh, Edgington stated the results are expected this week, though there are still a few rough edges that they're going to be want to uh, work out. As well as that, the Medallia Beacon Chain testnet, which has been running for quite a while, uh, it's about to be reinitialized. They had closed it for about three weeks as validators had gone inactive. Basically, a lot of people had signed up to participate in the Medallia testnet, and after Oh my god, probably a month of it being operable, more and more dropped out because there really wasn't a strong reward scheme. Um, so they need about two-thirds of the validators to be online and participating at all times, and that figure had slumped down to about 50%. So basically what they did was they shut it down so they could clear out all the inactive validators and letting all those who are active and want to participate remain. Which makes sense to me though they should have incentivized it a bit more to prevent this issue, just my opinion. But uh, there's little doubt that the official deployment of the deposit contract followed by the announcement of Beacon Chain's Genesis will drive momentum for Ethereum prices. Uh, Ethereum had maintained, managed to regain the $400 level. It's since dropped back down into the 380, still not a bad price, uh, but it's pretty much being pulled up by uh, Bitcoin, which hit 14k this past weekend, which is its highest price since January of 2018. I do think once 
phase zero drops and we start talking about phase one, we'll see a resurgence in Ethereum prices just because a lot of the naysayers and doubters will have been proven wrong and it will open its way up for a much more positive market sentiment, in my opinion. Granted, I'm some guy in his basement, so, you know, take what I say with a huge grain of salt. Uh, but yeah, we got to talk about crypto being locked in DeFi and actually declined for the first month since the bull run began. Um, yeah, it's the first time. Um, Bitcoin's grown, DeFi's stagnating. So DeFi was all the rage this summer. Investors poured billions upon billions into smart contracts with highly lucrative rewards. Uh, using that same metric, it's clear that DeFi's growth rate is slowing down. It quite frankly, needs to happen. Oh, maybe needs is a bad word, but it was going to happen. Nothing can rise that quickly, that fast forever. Uh, at one point, its rise appeared to be completely unstoppable. The amount of money locked into DeFi contracts was going up by a billion bucks each week. The industry peaked this week at 12.4 billion, up from 1 billion bucks in May. So yeah, it's pretty uh, gnarly just how fast it did rise when it was. Uh, and look, growth has slowed down. Yields from yield farming has decreased as more and more people have gotten into things. There are less new DeFi projects opening up shop, and the ones that are are capturing the smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller shares of the market. So the incentive for more and more to open up is kind of dwindling. There's just a lot of different kind of stagnation things. Plus, attention is switching back to Bitcoin as things seem to be set for it to explode here at the end of the year. Um, getting into the 13,000s, maintaining the 13,000s for pretty much an entire week, nipping at 14,000 suggests that we are in for a very interesting end of the year, though we will probably see some short-term pullback, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, don't count DeFi out yet. Don't be panic selling any of your DeFi tokens. Believe me, they may be slightly down, but they are nowhere near out. All right, well, hey, moving on. So a uh, little news out of Australia, then we'll do a little news out of China. So the Reserve Bank of Australia has partnered with two major local banks and consensus, which backs Ethereum pretty heavily, uh, to explore the potential use of the Ethereum-based wholesale CBDC. Oh, yeah. An Ethereum-based central bank digital currency. Interesting, interesting. So the announcement from Australia's central bank named the other partners, Commonwealth Bank and National Australia Bank and the financial services company Perpetual. Uh, the research group will develop a proof of concept for the issuance of a tokenized form of a CBDC that can be used by wholesale market participants for the funding, settlement, and repayment of a tokenized syndicated loan on an Ethereum-based DLT platform. Whew, that is a lot of work to talk about an Ethereum-backed CBDC. Awesome news. Australia has been very, very friendly to crypto in terms of legally and just like the country's interest in things. Um, I believe we've talked about on this channel before, they actually have a couple government agencies that utilize blockchain already in some form or another, so it's pretty cool. Uh, it is worth noting, however, that Australia's central bank concluded earlier this year, though pre-COVID-19, that there was no merit in launching a CBDC at that time. 
there might not be one now. However, they're looking at it. So uh, the assistant governor of the uh, Reserve Bank, Michelle Bullock, believes that the use cases of releasing a CBDC in the current markets are an open question. However, she is pleased to be collaborating with industry partners to explore if, not when or anything, but if there is a future role for a wholesale CBDC in the Australian payment systems. Hey, that makes sense. Like, look, I don't even know if it's going to be worthwhile, but we're going to put the research in. That makes sense. You never know what you're going to find. That is how science kind of works. So, you know, but still pretty cool that they're exploring this um, with Ethereum getting into phase zero of 2.0 and like launching and transaction times and sharding if those things actually come to pass it could back a cbdc for an entire country i mean right now they're just exploring it for wholesale cases but still a thing but uh let's hop on over and talk about china's digital yuans so more than two bigi two bigi oh man uh, more than 2 billion digital yuans have been spent in approximately 4 million separate transactions, according to Yi Gang, the governor of the People's Bank of China. This is equivalent to about 300 million American dollars. So, China has even incorporated the public in digital currency experiments. They've issued $10 million worth of digital yuan to Shenzhen citizens, which is a province in their area. They've been testing the... Uh, CBDC pretty heavily in that region, as well as Hong Kong and a few others, but they've been focusing a lot in Shenzhen. Uh, Yi reportedly said that the 2 billion yuans have been spent in pilot initiatives taking place across four different Chinese cities via this 12,000, or sorry, via 12,000 different payment scenarios. So basically, they, uh, They've been experimenting pretty hard. In fact, I believe China is hosting the 2022 Olympics, if they're still happening. Um, and they want to debut the, this central bank digital currency there. Like, it, to debut it to the world and potentially get a lot of use, a lot of users from different countries into their system. Because, quite honestly, they're going to be getting a lot of tourism into the country for the games. So for a long time, according to Yi, I see that we would have cash and digital currency coexisting. Makes sense to me. We're not going to replace anything just yet. We're providing another option. But China really loves being able to track and control things, so this makes sense for them. Uh, they seem to be ahead of the curve in the digital currency field. Uh, they do have a lot of work to be done, though. Uh, during Hong Kong's FinTech Week conference where Yi was speaking, he said that there remains a need for a fairly complicated and fairly complete legal framework to be created. However, if they want to debut it for the Olympic Games in 2022, that framework it can't be too far away because they're going to want to refine it before millions of tourists descend on the country. But still, nice little update. They're making the moves. Now, if only some other countries, America, would uh, catch up a little bit so that way we can compete in the bleeding edge of technology. But hey, to uh, round things down today, uh, talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin's pulled back. It did clip 14,000. It's now just below, well, it's right around 13,500. Um, it's about a 2% decline on the day, according to uh, Coindesk's and I think 
uh, uh, crypto market cap. They've all been down slightly, but it comes after last month's 28% rally, which is the biggest single month gain since April when it recovered from the March crash. Uh, on Saturday, it had surged to a 33-month high of $14,093 before falling back. Uh, some analysts are calling for a bigger pullback in the short term. Uh, being Quoting Joel Kruger, uh, if we consider overbought daily technicals plus failure to beat the 2019 high resistance and a risk-off backdrop, it's perfectly reasonable to anticipate the possibility for a healthy decline ahead. I don't think we're going to see an amazing amount of pullback, but people are going to take profit. Now, if you bought in at 10000 and you can get a $3,000 profit margin off this, a lot of people are going to take that. However, I don't think we're going to see a huge, huge drop. But Bitcoin's failure to establish this foothold above the June 2019 high of $13,880 has validated the short-term bull fatigue signaled by a 14-day relative strength index. Uh, technical traders are probably tempted to take profits, as I've already said. Uh, another source for risk in the Bitcoin is the U.S. presidential election, which is tomorrow. Uh, that's going to put a lot of uncertainty on Trump versus Biden, and I'm not going to get into any of that. This isn't a political channel. All I'm going to say is that both candidates do not have the best track record when it comes to cryptocurrencies, probably because they're both ancient old men and don't understand technology as well as younger generations. I'm not saying one's better than the other, one's worse than the other. I'm just saying both of them have said not great things about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin in the past that leads me to believe they don't have a strong understanding of it, nor do they really need to. Honestly, whoever wins this election is probably going to have to brush up on it for the next four years. But outside of that, eh. Uh, many fear that the results of the election will not be immediately clear, which is a distinct possibility with the large amount of early voting that was done in response to the coronavirus pandemic. The wife and I got absentee ballots and we physically dropped them off. Uh, well, I physically dropped them off for the two of us because, uh, well, she's pregnant and whether or not coronavirus is as deadly as people say or not, we're not risking a baby to go vote. So, plus, I like absentee ballots. We can actually, like, look up the candidates and what they stand for and vote for people based on their records and not just what I remember while people are breathing down my neck to get into the booth after me. So, uh, all these factors considered, however, the possibility of Bitcoin revisiting the former hurdle turn support of $12,500 cannot be ruled out. Uh, unless the market can establish above $14,000, there's a risk that the rally stalls in favor of a healthy retreat. Uh, like I said, I, I see pullback. I don't see a healthy, healthy pullback. Like, I'd say a healthy pullback would be into the 12 and 11K range. I think we're going to maintain in the 13s maybe have a flash crash depending on how the election goes down in the 12s with a quick resurgence i fully see us getting to a new all-time high by the end of the year that is my opinion and just remember i am not an analyst do not take anything i say at face value do your own research Alrighty, but that will do it for the trending articles in the crypto news space today 
Let's take a quick look at the top 10 cryptocurrencies. Pretty red for the top 10 right now. Looks like the biggest loser, loser is Bitcoin SV. Number 10 spot down almost 3% on the day and almost 11% on the week. Uh, though Polkadot's down more on the week, it's still, everything's looking pretty healthy, quite honestly, overall. As far as the biggest winner on the day, Ampleforth is up 12%. Nexo is up 8%. Uh, it's about time it started climbing back up. It always crashes when they do their dividend giveaway because it's never what people want it to be. Biggest loser is ABBC coin, which has won that award a few times uh, since I've started doing this. But they, it looks like they had a spike and now they're back down. But hey, that will do it for this episode. Um, as far as things going on, we did have a child on the 24th. He was a C-section and we ended up in the hospital for an extra day. Just give my wife a bit more time to rest. And he had a decent amount of jaundice, uh, which we expected. I was the same when I was born, so there's a history of it, and we were prepared for it. No real complications. He's got a very cool set of lungs on him, very loud, wakes me up um, all hours of the night. But he's really a great kid, and we're very happy and, and blessed. You know, 10 fingers, 10 toes. He's passed all his exams and all that stuff. We're honestly both, both just very happy. I don't know what else I can say. But I ended up taking the full week off to kind of get him and my wife into a new routine um, and all that stuff. I also got a small promotion at work, though I'm on leave. So we're working out when that new start date will be. And I'm transferring to a different location. So I've got a lot going on right now. But I'm going to keep up with this stuff. I really enjoy doing it. Um, I really enjoy all those of you who have subscribed. I really do appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed yet and you're listening to me talk about my personal life at this point, you might as well because you're obviously in this. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been patient and kind and congratulated me and all that stuff. We really are very happy and I will be talking to you guys hopefully tomorrow barring any crazy nights. Peace. <laughs>